Camilla Cole is a Jamaican-born, American-raised author. By day, she works in publishing, and by night, she frantically types words she hopes to see in a book on shelves one day. In the past, she's also worked as a journalist and at a hotel. Two jobs that give you amazing stories to tell at parties. You know, she went to parties. A graduate of New York University, Camilla is currently based in the tri-state area, where she's usually playing Kingdom Hearts for the hundredth time, quoting early SpongeBob SquarePants episodes, or crying her way through Zuko's redemption arc in Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> Emily Forney is a literary agent for Bookends Literary, a digital media and rhetoric teacher, cultural critic, and a writer for what feels like an eternity. She currently lives in Phoenix, Arizona, at the mercy of two cats and a dream of owning a goat farm one day. Hang on. Hang on. Back up. Emily, you have two cats? <laughs> um, yeah, you know this about me. No, I don't. I only know Melly. Oh, well, that's because I like to keep my life a mystery. I like to, like, oh, you know. Okay. Emily Forney, international woman of mystery. Got it. So much. <laughs> that. I just, like, I feel like, you know, this is something, see? It's, like, what, two, three years into our relationship, and we're learning new things about each other. I literally feel like I just found out that someone in my life has a second family. You have a second cat. I've never <laughs> he is very temperamental. He doesn't like to be in front of the camera, which is probably why you don't see him. Wow. I don't know you. Who are you? <laughs> well, thank you so much for that intro. <laughs> that. With the I'm secret honest. life of Emily Foney. <laughs> Feeling so betrayed right now. I didn't mean to derail us. I feel like we like ended a relationship or something already. This is oh, not no, good. We, we end our relationship probably every week. We <laughs> ended our relationship right before this call started. So you guys are fun. This is so funny. Um, I, I'm sure we will get into this, but we did want to talk about your agent author relationship at some point. So we're actually we're tell us right clues. now what is what is essential for you in your author agent relationship. Um. Ugh. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Do we consistently, mainly me, say that I'm going to break up with Camilla every other day? Mm-hmm. Um, do we threaten to lose each other at sea? Like, yes. probably once a month. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think our relationship is, <laughs> it's very different. I think it's really hard because an agent and an author relationship is so unbelievably unique. And I think it's really dependent on like the personalities between each other. We connected because we realized that like in a very strange way, we share one mind, one singular brain cell. And most of our (laughs) like obscure pop culture references, like beliefs in like our favorite nostalgic 90s things all align and then somehow that has morphed itself into like us just knowing each other so incredibly well to the point where we're so sick of each other but yes. we it, it's except cool. for the cat right yes that's it that's the except only for the mystery cat. <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> the mystery but yeah I co-sign everything that Emily said I think that we are very loyal to one another but also very belligerent to one another because we kind of feel like a safety with each other to be our real selves and we are belligerent people so yeah I think our author agent relationship I I feel like it's pretty strong because I just know on the agent side I'm in great hands with Emily she's annoyingly smart um and then you know just in general as far as our personalities like we just kind of vibe so I'm having a good time, by which I mean I'm having a terrible time, and we will be talking about this cat again later. 
Oh, no, we absolutely can. But since you said nice things, I guess I'll say nice things to you too. Oh, God, but please I, <laughs> But I think what works just like, again, like really, really well is we're genuinely in sync, but that doesn't even have to say like we have the same opinions all the time, but it's in sync with, I think, our creative process. We absolutely love spending time when, like when she has a new idea for a story, like the ways in which like I can share that enthusiasm is just really contagious and she is she's really just welcoming and opening to herself and like her whole creative process and it just makes this job so much more fun and this job like better so while she might trust me to do like what I need to do on like the business side or even the editorial side I know that everything she gives me, whether it's one of the loftiest ideas, like there is a 90% chance we'll be able to do it because she's just so incredible at marking what she wants and like claiming it. And so I think we're, we're very, very similar in wanting to do the same things. Gross. I know. <laughs> I know. And that was on like public record. Oh, that is on yeah. the record. I can't take that back now. I know. I'm not cutting that. So. <laughs> 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 I love all of that. You guys sound like you guys are the only ones that could kill each other. So, oh, we have said that multiple times. Yeah, we actually have. We have made this pact. She is uh, the only one allowed to end me. She's my greatest enemy. So, I love it. I love yeah. it. I um, I do want to talk about our meet cute because I just I think it's kind of fun. So <laughs> you were waylaid in the street, really, by my friend and Gabby's friend Laura who is fantastic and um anyway you had just saved a young boy at y'all fest and um and I, I want to talk about that tell us the story <laughs> okay to be fair you make us sound like we like pulled him from the river in Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> we, we saved him and breathed life I mean who's body. to say <laughs> we are nothing if not dramatic this is the place to to be yourself yeah you're we right. saved him from a life of therapy. We saved him from a life of therapy. But um, to set the scene, because I kind of came into this a little bit late, actually. I was minding my hot girl business, sitting down. And then um, Emily was looking around and, like, making faces. Well, to be fair, she's always making faces. She's very expressive, <laughs> which you don't get to see from this. But she was looking around and making faces and looking really sad. And she was, like, half in, half out of her seat. And I'm like, what, what is going on? Did you sit on a tack? Like, what's happening here? And she was like, there's a little boy who wants to talk to Soman. And then she started to like half sit back down because the little boy was like basically gone by that point. And I was like, well, if the little boy wants to talk to Soman, let's, let's go. And then we went. So Emily, do you want to get into how you saw this little boy in the first place? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, for anyone who listens, who's not like familiar with like the Y'all Fest, Y'all West kind of, I guess, like frame. You have your opening keynote speaker and then you have like your closing speaker and we were, it was early in the morning and it was the opening one. And I think what's so great about conventions like this is it really brings like readers out, like especially young readers. And this is one of the few conventions that I feel like also tailored to middle grade readers. And so there was this like really young boy that we were in this giant hall. Um, there was a lot of people and I totally understand when you're on stage, you can't see very well. The lights are at you. You're just kind of looking out, knowing that there's people there, but not totally being able to pick up on it. 
and you could just tell that he was unbelievably excited to be there was kind of in the like jumping up in the aisle trying to ask this question and he had kind of walked up towards the stage there's like this microphone that he was like much too small to reach anyway yeah and he had like walked up to it multiple times and it just didn't work and I was just getting so sad because I also felt like sometimes what happens is as writers who are maybe like adults who are reading in this space. So for like middle grade or YA, we are adults that kind of occupy that space. I feel like a lot of them were kind of being catered to with questions of like how to break into writing or just kind of wanting to be seen and be present where we also have like our readers that maybe got pushed back a little bit in that area. And so he was leaving with, you know, a guardian, an adult, whoever (laughs) um, for him. And I just was like, I I could chase him down. Like we could, we could absolutely <laughs> chase him down. And so we definitely lost him in the crowd. It was like, at that point, it was like a hundred or so people trying to leave this auditorium. We lost him at first. We found him across the street, took off running. We did we probably- look both ways or anything? Or did oh, we absolutely just- not. I'm sure, we, I'm sure I we feel looked- like we did not look. We were just like, get to that boy. Yeah, I'm sure we looked, I'm sure we looked a little crazy. Um, but <laughs> we got there and we just, we... I, I don't know why, but I was like, I'm a literary agent. And then Camilla kind of broke out like another like authority title. Yeah, I was like, I work in publishing and I know Soman and we will get you to his side if you come with us with your guardian because we're not kidnappers. Yeah. And, and, and for some reason we were like, this makes us authorities on tracking down authors and making your dreams come true. I felt like kind of like what I assume like people who are at Disneyland do when they're like, what princess do you want to meet? And, yeah. and we just kind of like rushed through it, it. It definitely say it out loud. You're like, oh, that's like nice. But we made it like way more theatrical than honestly it probably needed to be That's because we are so dramatic emily like we are so we're very dramatic people but it was also nice because first of all soman is amazing like he is a middle grade author who really cares about his readers like when we said hey this little boy wanted to speak to you but he didn't get a chance to like ask a question on the mic like soman turned around right away had a whole conversation with the little boy and like encouraged him it was like so nice to see. And then um, his guardian said that they had come for the whole purpose of like meeting Soman because that was his favorite author and everything. So like, yes, we were being dramatic about it, Emily, but I really feel like at least for me at that age with how badly like I loved certain authors, like it would have been my dream to meet certain authors when I was that age. So it was probably super dramatic for him too. maybe uh, not on par with pulling him from the rushing waters around Charleston and breathing life back into his young body. (laughs) But, you know, I I hope that, you know, he had a good day as a result of your consideration. I yeah. feel like it's totally on par with pulling somebody out of a rushing <laughs> river. And Absolutely. Uh, I will say, I so I didn't see this unfold, but I was actually sitting next to the microphone and I saw him go up and my heart was absolutely broken. So I oh, came yeah. in at like the closing of act three and <laughs> I went out and Courtney was out in the street and I was like, there was this little boy. And she's like, no, no, it's all fine. <laughs> These two great people came, this agent <laughs> author pair, and they got him and they took him over and everything's fine now. Yes, it was like, it was one of those things where it was so nice to actually 
get to close the loop on that story for me because <laughs> I was like, oh, when I saw that, because I was like, this is a core memory moment and it's going to go one way or another. And so, <laughs> so anyway, it was, I, I love that I, I got to know that it was fine because I was just like, oh God, like I, I was just, maybe I was projecting, but I was like dread. <laughs> and then to know that it was okay. That's all I want to know sometimes. No, I understand. I projected way too much too. I was, I was <laughs> trying to think about what I was like when I was like six. And I was like, oh no, this is too much. <laughs> but I also like, sorry, Emily, but I give full credit for the entire situation to Emily because she's the one who saw the boy and she's the one who was like, I want to do something. So, you know, she kind of took point on this and I want her to take her flowers because she probably made that kid's day. You jumped into the river after her. So that was yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He went to save the boy and I went to save her and the boy because... That's right. That's right. I can't swim actually. So that probably wouldn't have been... (laughs) That's even more brave then. So very good. You hear that, Emily? I'm even more brave. All right. It's over. Oh my gosh. Y'all are fantastic. Uh, we do have a good bit of questions here, but like, I can't not say that Gabby and I also cry our way through Zuko's redemption arc. <laughs> I love Zuko yeah. so much. It has been so many years, so many years. I don't even want to tell you how many years since that show was on. And to this day, I consider Zuko's redemption arc to be one of the best written in all of pop culture history. And it is to what I aspire anytime I put words on the page. I don't really do redemption arcs. I'm more of a corruption arc kind of girl. Um, (laughs) Like in terms of character depth, logical sense, emotionality, interiority, like all of that. That's what I try to do whenever I write is kind of sow those seeds as far back as the season one episode, The Storm. We knew that Zuko had some stuff going on, like sowing those seeds early that like lead to this emotionally satisfying payoff. So yeah, I will say that Zuko's redemption arc is probably my Roman Empire, if you know that meme. (laughs) How often do you think of the Roman Empire? I think of Zuko's redemption arc probably like five times a day. Courtney and I, whenever anybody fills in our legendary form, we have a look at it and then Anytime Zuko's mentioned, we're already like screenshotting and sending it to each other and screaming about it. We get super excited. So, so um, am I in it. a safe space? Like, are are we Zuko? Is this a safe? Is this yeah. a safe? Space? Okay. The safest. Yeah. Because yeah. I love Zuko so much. Like so much. No offense to May, who was also like a great character, but Zutara is also to which I aspire (laughs) and not even because of how they were written in the show because you know they had a positive relationship probably in the last four episodes of the entire series but in terms of like symbolic duality and um you know the potential that was there between their various backgrounds and values and stuff I like a ship that makes sense to me and Zutara just always has so thank you for this safe space (laughs) <laughs> Can you write a very veiled Zutara fanfic that you publish? Could I? Have I? I don't <laughs> Emily, I'm going to file the serial numbers off of my fanfiction and just submit it to you. And then can you just sell it? <laughs> to me, honestly. <laughs> Fantastic. So we already know that you love Zuko. What sort of other places and stories and anything really do you draw inspiration from um gosh I 
love the video game Kingdom Hearts. I wouldn't say I draw inspiration from it so much as I obsess over it ridiculously. I love the old TV show. <laughs> it's old now. Um, Once Upon a Time, which I write a Twitter thread about at least, <laughs> what, like every two weeks or something. <laughs> Emily will would not oh my god you're so annoying so she (laughs) (laughs) I was talking about I think how I can't write long books yet or something like that and she said that if I collected all of my once upon a time threads I've probably written like six books by now and (laughs) I was like that is so rude but then I did another thread the very next day (laughs) so I really love once upon a time um in terms of things I draw inspiration from I find a lot of inspiration like other authors books Legendborn is one of my favorite books of all time because it kind of came to me at a time when I thought I was burning out of the fantasy space that every single story just was like it was starting to feel pretty uniform and then Legendborn kind of woke me up to the fact that it's not like I'm not tired of fantasy I am looking for new stories in fantasy and Brie's story was just so inventive with the way that Tracy Dion wove Black history and culture and the slave trade into Arthurian legend, which was really, really cool. I also really like big, expansive worlds like um, Crown of Feathers by Nikki Palpreto, where it's basically a dragon rider book, but they ride phoenixes instead. I love expansive world building, um, Blood Justice by Terry J. Benton Walker. Um, and I also really love deep character work like Raven Boys by Maggie Steve Otter. Team Gansey. Um, and The Stardust Thief by Chelsea Abdullah with the humor and the banter and the found family. Like, I find most of my inspiration in reading books by my contemporaries, books from a few years ago, and just seeing what it is, identifying what it is I loved about the book when I love it, and trying to kind of bring that into the writing that I do. Did I answer the question? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Can you give like an example of something that you're currently very into and like looking for when you're reading? I'm currently on a dark academia kick. So I just read In Order and Education in Malice. I'm reading Curious Tides by Pascal Lassell, which comes out next month. I'm reading Every Exquisite Thing by Laura Stevens, which is a dark academia Dorian Gray retelling. I reread A Lesson in Vengeance. I read The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. Like I'm, (laughs) if it's something that you would find on the dark academia table at Barnes and Noble, I'm kind of like running through them right now because my adult book, The Sinister Elite, which comes out in summer 2025, it's a dark academia. And so I kind of really want to see, first of all, what the foundations of the genre are currently, and then what I can do differently that feels more true to the story I'm trying to tell about a Jamaican first-generation immigrant who is in academia for the first time and just really really not having a great time. (laughs) So yeah, currently I'm reading a lot, so much dark academia. And certain things probably should not be called dark academia because they don't really interrogate academia. You know, they're just kind of set at a school, but I haven't read any bad books yet. So there's that. (laughs) They're all really good. (laughs) You mentioned dragons just now, I think. Yes. Yes. And your debut... So Let Them Burn comes out January 2024. Can you give us a little elevator pitch? Oh my gosh. Elevator pitch of my book, which is coming out. Okay. (laughs) So Let Them Burn is, I pitched it as a Jamaican Joan of Arc because it is about a girl 
who was chosen by the gods to wield their magic to save her island from dragon-riding colonizers. But then five years later, her sister is chosen as the rider for an enemy dragon, and the gods tell her that in order to break that bond, she will have to kill her sister. And she's like, no. Nah. So <laughs> she goes down a dark path and makes a pact with a uh, long imprisoned god to save her sister. And in the end, it might end up dooming the world that she once saved. Oh my god, my whole body is like, <laughs> it just erupted in chills. I want it so bad. <laughs> better, but you know what? It works. <laughs> Emily, when you read that, what was your first impression? Oh my gosh, it was it was amazing. When I first read it, I, I think when I first read the query, like it was so well written. That is something that Camilla does incredibly well is being able to give you that hook and to really suck you in. But I was like, this feels like so much. There's no way that this is going to be executed in a way because it just, it really tackles, I mean, really major elements of colonialism and what happens post-war and kind of the people left behind. And like when one culture is trying to assimilate while others are trying to really hold on to really the foundations of what they were. And on top of all that, a very, very intricate magic system and this sort of exploration of deities. And I was like, okay, I love this, but there's there's just no way. And I fell in love. And it was actually one of those things where I found out that Camilla had other offers of uh, rep. I was I was down to I think like the last day when I was able to jump in, finish reading, get on a call. It was very, very rushed, but I felt so deeply in love with it. And I was so nervous that I was gonna lose the book and, and lose her and the potential of working together. And it ultimately worked out. But it was it got me so like much to my soul that I was like, wow, I have to like fight for this one in particular. Oh, um, that's actually really funny because what had happened with me was the querying journey for this book is very long and convoluted. So I'm just going to jump to the part where Emily comes in. So I had nudged another agent who got me on the phone and said that she wanted me to do like an R&R an &R and her notes were like, two three pages long and I was like these are really good and then while I was about to start working on the R&R &R, she emailed me asking me like what else are you working on and I was like uh, so something y'all should know about me is I have like five million ideas like probably far more than I will ever be able to write Emily has banned me from pitching her new things. Like I, <laughs> I have a lot going on up here. And when it, the idea comes to me, like I got to write a whole query. I got to set it down. Sometimes I even write a first sentence so that when I go back to that story, like I don't have to worry about how it opens. So she was like, what else do you have going on? And I send her 18 stories divided by genre and age category. <laughs> She got on a call. So we got on a call and she was like, so I can see that you are brilliant and have like a huge future in front of you. And I want to get it on the ground floor. I am offering on So Let Them Burn. And I was like, yay. And straight up through the two week period when I was talking to other agents, I was so sure I was going to sign with that agent I was like I literally was one of those people who was like do I have to wait the two weeks I know what I'm gonna do like blah blah blah, blah. 
And then someone waited until the last day, very last day, (laughs) to send me the nicest email basically saying she hasn't stopped thinking about my book and if I've already made up my mind, like they don't want to like disrupt that. But like if they have even a small bit of a chance, like they'd love to talk to me. And I was like, yeah, all right. I know what I'm going to do, but I'm just... (laughs) throw her a bone like whatever (laughs) and so we got on the phone and I think weren't we on the phone for like two hours or like two and a half hours we talked for a really long time um yeah I got off the phone and my best friend was over at my house at the time I got off the phone and I was like it was a really good call it was a really good call I need to think about you know what I'm gonna do this weekend and then at the end of the weekend I told her I'm going to go with Emily. And she was like, from the moment I saw your face, when you came off that call, I knew you were going to go with Emily. <laughs> you look like you had just been hit by a bus and like in a good way. <laughs> yeah. You totally fell in love. Yeah. I really, really <laughs> did. Uh, one thing I will say about Emily is she gives good phone call. What can I say? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so heartwarming to hear your story. We're both writers. So this is like, it's, it's nice to see it. And also, it's the dream, right? Also, yeah, I love romance. That was such yeah. a great, a great romance. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> Although, actually, when you guys saw us in Charleston, that was the first time we'd ever actually met. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. so funny, though. Like, I mean, well, I feel like the bookish community, everyone is so everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, Gabby and I, we've been friends for years now. We've met twice really actually y'all fest was the first time we met in person too no no you forgot our our cabin trip oh that's so rude no i'm in uh, trouble yeah it's okay wow. you guys are gonna we witness a breakup cabin. too um, no, like, <laughs> we went yeah. to like this little cabin in pennsylvania like really out in the middle of nowhere in we the try poconos to fi- we tried to find a place that was in the middle like between where we both are and yeah it was very very random spot it's so peaceful though uh I don't think Emily and I can do that because what is the midpoint between us like M- Michigan I don't I don't know geography I do not Michigan. know <laughs> um yeah so you're in like you know the New Yorkish area and I am in Arizona so it would be where Michigan is yeah so we're, we're looking somewhere in the like mid westy area but yeah I love a good cabin meet up was it like was it one of those like writers retreats or like themed sort of thing we actually um started recording some episodes for this podcast we had decided we were gonna do this podcast because we um we would hop on like these calls like really early in the morning just to write together and we would just also end up talking so much about story and all the things we love about it we were like we should just like record this (laughs) I love that <laughs> yeah I know Gabby's a real one <laughs> <laughs> our relationship is a bit of of um a strange one too <laughs> <laughs> yeah because she's strange not me um <laughs> oh my gosh okay so we have so many questions I actually feel like I could talk to you guys for like 50 years um <laughs> so we might have to have you on for like a part 60 but um I do want to know like what kind of dragon you guys are Ooh, okay. so I thought about this 
thought about this very hard. And I think that I would probably be a medallion dragon. So for the uninitiated in the world of Soul Let Them Burn, there are four types of dragons. They're each a different color and they kind of do like they each have a unique trait. So there's the sage dragon, which is green, very intelligent, like good at languages. Um, Then there is the medallion dragon, which is yellow and like really likes taking naps. And there is the Oh my god. Oh, the Carmine Dragon, which is red. It's the largest of the dragons and its fire burns the hottest. And then there is the aquamarine dragon. Is it? No, I think it's ultramarine. Ultramarine. Thank you, Emily. This is really embarrassing. <laughs> the ultramarine dragon, which is blue and like the fastest swimmer. And then there is another dragon said to be the first dragon, which is pure white. And just, if you ever see one, you're probably going to die. So we there are four main dragons and then the one, white one. So all of that said, I think I would be a medallion dragon because I was asleep before this. I will be asleep after this. <laughs> and also, I look amazing in yellow. And then, uh, I don't know if you picked yours, Emily, but I have a guess as to what you would be. I want to know what you think. I don't know. I would love to hear it because my Um, response otherwise would have just been, I want to be whatever dragon exists in fiction that is on the way out, about to retire, just not in commission. Well, it's good because I did pick the ultramarine dragon for you. All they do (laughs) is lazily swim around the ocean and just hang out and enjoy their life and vibe. And I think that you know how to enjoy your life and vibe. Perfect. As long as they're night owls and you are always awake at very odd hours. My time. Thank you so much. I love this. (laughs) I remember when you posted about the dragons and there was like a dragon who liked snacks. Yes. Like, I'm that dragon. Yes. There is a dragon who likes snacks. I can't remember which one, considering I just forgot. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing that they don't warn you about writing a book is that you have to see that book so many times throughout the process that once you finally, like, eat it to your editor for the final time for arcs and, you know, for them to print it, you repress that so hard. <laughs> You remember nothing about it. Um, like my friends started reading my book and then they would come to my DMs and be like, oh, I really, really love the scene where like Theron's at the ball and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there like, she goes to a ball? Hey. <laughs> I don't remember anything anymore. Repressed trauma. Yes. <laughs> We've been through a lot together, me and this manuscript. So. <laughs> Do you have any favorite tropes that you like to put in your stories? So Emily and I disagree on this, but I am a friends to lovers girly. Um, Yeah. (laughs) She's more of an enemies to lovers girly. But the thing is, I don't think I've ever actually written friends to lovers yet. (laughs) I just really like it in theory. One day I will. But in theory, I like it. But I like friends to lovers, enemies to lovers, rivals to lovers, hate to love. um, Because, you know, they're there's a range and especially depending on the genre because an enemies to lovers thing in contemporary and an enemies to lovers thing in fantasy you know they're very different and one involves a lot less bloodshed and knives um (laughs) so I like doing that I love found family um I really love any book with found family I love the grumpy sunshine trope 
love bodyguard romances and any kind of royalty romance, um, mostly in fantasy because yes, monarchy is bad and it's a drain on the resources and an antiquated institution, but I wanted to be a Disney princess. So, <laughs> so you always find kings and queens and princesses in my work because, you know, I really bought into that Disney dream that being a princess is just about singing an I want song on a rock while you watch a prince and his dog go back to their castle. (laughs) I think I, as a Black woman, deserve to live that dream before we have debates about how bad monarchy is. Why not? (laughs) Um, I think I named all of them, but honestly, I'm stumbling on new tropes all the time, so who knows what I might explore next. Are there tropes you love to see in your submissions, Emily? Oh, see, I have like favorites as like a reader, but like honestly, when it comes to me reading with like through my agent lens, I I will honestly read anything. I think what I've been seeing the most lately is, and this is something I'm really excited about, and it's not so much a trope. I don't think this is would be the right word. But I don't know if you all like remember like the early 2000s and even like 2010s, a lot of like books, specifically like fantasy books or YA stories, what they did is they had this thing that like one of my one of my best friends kind of pinpointed as called a play pattern. And so it's like it's a book or a series that you kind of have something like you're following along with. So for instance, it's like the I always use this because it's such a classic staple in my mind but like the Gallagher girls series which is like the spies that was like Ali Carter's like really big breakout the play pattern there is like all these books you're following like spies who have a mission that's given to them at the beginning of the story an issue that arises like a blunder that happens and I know that like in some ways we might look at it and we're like oh that's something like maybe, you know, we would pick up on too much or maybe it's predictable, but it's it's really not. And it's an easy way for like readers to really, again, latch on to sort of the ways in which we can follow along. And I, I think we've seen that with really long series from the past. And I'm actually starting to see that a lot more of writers kind of bringing back this like concept of a pattern so it could be anything from working on dark academia to you seeing like dark academia having sort of a pattern to follow with like even if it's a duology or even one book of kind of how we can maybe pick up on what our characters are going through the puzzles that they're seeing we see it in like the inheritance game that definitely has like a play pattern even like stephanie garber for the most part like has like play pattern um and so i think That's the thing I'm seeing the most that I'm actually really, really excited about. I think it's kind of this like familiar, nostalgic way of storytelling where it doesn't have to be the most high stakes sort of like you have to have the biggest hook. And if you don't have that and if it can't like stand on its own, that it doesn't work anymore. I love something that we can maybe take our time with. And sometimes like those smaller emergencies feel so much bigger and they feel like we can like digest them better rather than having these really large end of the world stakes and I think that's what I'm seeing coming back and I'm just genuinely thrilled with I love the phrase play pattern I didn't even think about it like that but like it's a really good like 
phrase for those kinds of books, which I loved, but I was, she was Gallagher Girls. I was Nancy Drew. I could read Nancy, wake up in the morning and get involved in something. She was too young to be investigating (laughs) a hundred books. Yeah. And that's, that's a perfect example of play pattern. And even like, um, like the babysitter's club or, or anything that really just like shows us. It's like, again, it feels maybe like lower stakes in like the scheme of like how we look at books but I also feel like a lot of readers are kind of missing that where they can spend a long time with someone and being with different characters that maybe we jump to other main characters and points of views and I think that like that that's one that I'm really excited about I think like play pattern is something like a term that we traditionally use in like animation or we use it for like young children's media so for instance like the most obvious one right now was like Paw Patrol. It's a play pattern. And people are like, oh yeah, like you you have little dogs that solve mysteries or I'm not actually sure what they do, but like they do something. And each time it's kind of like helping your audience to to latch on to that in the sense of like putting together mysteries, putting together puzzles. I would even say like shipping wars are a version of play pattern. And it's really funny because it's like when we think of Twilight, and you saw like Team Edward, Team Jacob, or even like Vampire Diaries, those team shipping wars were really promoted and utilized as a, a serious play. Business. Serious business. Friendships were lost. Yeah. No, yeah. And even to this day, I still have that. <laughs> but it, but it's it's a play pattern because of the ways in which we see these different relationships are kind of, they will jump. For instance, Vampire Diaries, which is one of the biggest examples of a play pattern that I've seen in like recent teen media, you might say like, oh, I know where who's going to end up with who, but it jumps so frequently. And the ways in which it jumps, you can kind of find the pattern of how characters need certain relationships at certain times. And then the mysteries behind the larger story add to the play pattern of the shipping wars. And so I think that like, again, I'm, I'm seeing that more and more. I'm really engaged in things like that. And I'm hopeful that that starts to kind of come back and trend. I find that so interesting because we talk a lot on the pod about how there's like kind of these waves of things that come up and it can be for many different reasons. But we saw with the pandemic and now this this rise of romanticity. It's people sort of seeking a type of comfort. And I wonder if what you're seeing with the play patterns is also a type of comfort escapism where you get to stay in a world and with characters for a longer time. And so you don't necessarily need everything to be wrapped up really tightly, really quickly, because yeah. what you're looking for is kind of a different type of escape. Yeah, I, I I definitely think so. I also think a lot of writers have been sort of trained in the last like five years or so to get everything down as quickly as they can and show us the stakes as early as possible and to let a book stand on its own which I do think like having a lot of these standalone stories like they're incredible and they're done really really well but I also think that there's been this maybe like unwarranted urgency to do that I think a lot of storytelling has sort of shifted into this like shock and awe like you need to really like almost like trick your readers where I feel like a lot of people now are feeling like oh I don't want my readers to guess endings I don't want them to be able to piece it together but for me I feel like sometimes like a really satisfying ending can be when someone feels like I've spent so much time with this and I've gotten to the point where I've been able to put these things together I've been able to invest into what I believe the ending is going to be and have that satisfaction And so I feel like a lot of publishing at the moment has really kind of 
shifted in a way where it's like, okay, everything needs to come into one book and needs to go so fast. It needs to be life or death. And at the very end, you need to have a completely twisted, shocking ending. And I think that we're seeing like readers will pick those up and those books can work, but they're not creating the fandoms and they're not creating those slow building and like long standing reader author relationships. And I think that a lot of authors are are definitely starting to move back over as like you were saying, as that comfort, that familiarity. And I, I think that we're going to start to see that shift again. I'm so glad to hear that. Courtney and I always moan at each other. We're like, everything we write is like spilling over into another book and another book and another book. But you guys see how smart she is and how like well she thinks about story and the market. She's like this all the time. Like when I <laughs> when I come to her with one of my ideas, like it's very fun to brainstorm with her because she thinks about story in a way that is so smart that she's she 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 literally hates this um in a way that is so smart that like I'm like I've brought this as far as I can on my own I can't go any further without Emily's input like she's very good at I just think she's neat I will (laughs) walk into the center of the ocean right now I'm sorry I had to say it well I think you did say that Camilla really would try to throw you into the ocean at some point that's true that yeah. was voluntary. Prophecy <laughs> fulfilled. <laughs> so, Gabby, should we try to squeeze in another question before we do kind of our our essential questions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely want to ask. I know people will be very excited to hear Emily what you are looking for next in your inbox. Oh, yeah. So my specialty is, I mean, I will do anything in children's literature. Genuinely, I will do anything. But when it comes to what like I am on the hunt for at the moment, and I know a lot of people might bemoan this, but this has always been something that I've loved. I am a romanticy girl. I have loved it since I was really, really young. I would read like romantic fantasy fan fiction. I was that person on Tumblr that would like pick up those tiny little like bits that someone on a blog who like lived, um, who was probably like 12 years old and like lived in Minnesota. And I was like, I will read any of this. Um, And so I think for adult, I'm really excited to move more into the adult market space soon. I know that a lot of people have their own opinions on like new adults versus the adults in those terms. I am someone that just feels like there is that space. And for new adults, I have talked to a lot of publishing contacts that have been kind of building that. And it's it's not massively accepted yet. I honestly think the biggest issue with like the concept of new adult that is making publishers kind of push back is retail spaces that don't have sections for new adults. Like where do we put this? But I am really, really interested in having those stories because I feel like A lot of the times you have people who say, you know, oh, your first should have happened when you're 17 years old. Like every first experience happens when you're a teenager. When like for a lot of us, that doesn't happen until we're in college or we're not having these like first experiences with like romance or even just like sometimes even grief until later in our 20s or even just our early 20s. And so I'm definitely interested in that, including 
any sort of contemporary romance. I'm really in my romance era. Um, and I love interconnected standalone. So like, give me a series where I'm, like, I'm following a different hockey player from the team the entire time. <laughs> like, truly, I love it. I love anything that kind of blends women's fiction with romance. So like what a lot of like Helen Huang does and Tolly um, Hibbert and Emily Henry and Carly Fortune, like I think that they're doing some really great work over there. But then also I love anything to do with genre fiction. So I love really epic sweeping fantasies that don't have to have romance in it. I love anything that's going to give me a really fascinating magic system or a retelling of some sort that just is like kind of pulling you in. And then when it comes to strictly like children's literature, I love things that, like I said, play patterns are just what I'm looking for. But I love things that you can have these characters that for them, it feels like what's happening to them means the entire world, but maybe it's really, really local. Um, And it can be something that's just to them, it means everything. And for like us, we're like, oh, that is small. But again, for young readers, like I think having friendship breakups and even like going through your first like period or having these really hard issues of moving or losing family, I think can be just those stories that are so important at that time. So like, I'm definitely looking for things like that too. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Okay, we have some fun questions. How much time have we got? Uh, We have six minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so (laughs) ominous. You have to be like, we have six minutes. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, be scared, guys. (laughs) No, these are our really fun questions. Not that we haven't been incredibly fun this entire time, but you know. (laughs) so fun. Okay, Gabby. Me? Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Okay. Um, We asked you about your story beast and Emily, I'm not, I think we, we, we blundered this one a little bit. We didn't send you the form, so we didn't get your answers as a story beast, but I'm going to read out the question. And then while we talk about Camilla's story beast, maybe you can think about your story beast and then we can we can talk about yours all right it's really fun because i have absolutely no memory of this so we're all going to be surprised by my story <laughs> it's like writing books <laughs> yeah once you've written it's gone done <laughs> it, it's done we're moving on all right here we go the concept behind story beast is that as we create stories that process also changes us your story beast is a manifestation of how you imagine story changes you If your story beast had a form, what would it be? It can be mythological, something in our world, or entirely made up by you. You can go as crazy as you want with it. Give it tentacles, give it alien eyes, or keep it a known creature you think encapsulates your story form. You can add music, you can add smells, go wild. Ooh. Ooh. All right, I'm going to read out Camilla's while Emily has maybe a little bit of a think there. Yeah, what did Camilla say? (laughs) (laughs) What did she say? Despite writing a dragon book, my favorite mythological creature is a mermaid. So I'd Uh, love to be a mermaid with a tail with vibrant pink scales and a gold bikini top. My theme song, ooh, is about damn time by Lizzo. When I show up, the party begins, but sometimes I get lost along the way and need help from my agent to find my way back to the heartbeat of my story. But whether it's walking on land or diving the deepest sea, I can and will do it, all with determination and aplomb. Wow, I'm so deep. You are. (laughs) 
See, I feel like you wanted to get thrown into the ocean this whole time now. Yeah, I was, when you said that, I was thinking about your story beast. I was like, we're leading, like, we're going full circle. We're going to come back to the mermaid moment. It was foreshadowing. It was. Yes. You did it subconsciously. Oh my gosh. Like, just like the Zuko redemption arc from the very beginning. This was seeded. I planned the whole time. You totally did. Uh, Who's your favorite Disney princess? Is it Ariel? It was. So I went through phases. So originally, I mean, as these movies came out, it was Aurora because she was the first Disney princess I saw who got to, like, speak to her prince before they made out. (laughs) And she sleeps. Yes, and then she sleeps. Um, And then after that, it was Ariel because she was the first Disney princess who, like, saved them you know she basically kicked ursula's butt until she got stranded on a rock and then eric like drives the ship into ursula so she had more of a personality and also i love mermaids i don't know if you know that from my story beast um so it was ariel and then it was mulan and that stayed that way for a very long time um i think she's still like number one but then tiana came out and i love her because her movie did not love her you know, she spent most of her movie as a frog, even though she's a gorgeous, gorgeous black woman. Um, and that movie is super underrated. But yeah, I love her to kind of compensate for the fact that she didn't even meet her villain until the very last scene where she kills him. So yeah, Mulan, Tiana, and then probably Ariel fits in after that. Because I just, I used to wrap my legs up in a blanket and push myself up and go part of your work (laughs) i can't tell you how obsessed i was with that movie so yeah you know there are professional mermaids out there right oh i know now yeah there's a whole documentary on it yeah okay so you're obviously you're in the know yeah, Gabby, you got homework. (laughs) i was in a little mermaid play when i was in kindergarten and i had this this tail which was <laughs> was ridiculous because you couldn't really walk in it you had to like penguin shuffle because <laughs> it was like right down to my ankles and then I had this the tail part that was attached to my wrist with like so it was like all pink sequins right and then I had this like pink sequin band and then there was fish gut from the end of the tail to the to the wristband so that you could like move and the the bottom like the fins of the tail would move I am so it was a fun time. right now like, I <laughs> I, I drove my mother insane because I insisted on wearing it everywhere and I couldn't walk. No, but you were right. have to just wait for me. I'm like shuffling. No, but you were absolutely justified and valid in wanting yep. to wear that everywhere. Yeah. I was going to say, I would do the same exact thing. Have you got your story beast yet, Emily? I, feel so I think so. I think my story beast is going to be pretty, pretty simple. I think it's going to be a phoenix. One, because I live in Phoenix and I have just a soft spot for this bird. But also because when it comes to how I write, I can be pretty nuclear. So like I will write like a whole thing and then I will be like, you know what? Just this isn't working for me. And I will take everything away and I will burn it to the ground. But then every (laughs) single time I write like a new version, like I will write several like versions of the same story. They're really starting from scratch, but with remnants 
of kind of like what I took from the last things or what I knew just wasn't working. I also think if my story beast could have like a voice or even just like um like a conscience, it would be the voice of Jake Johnson who plays Nick Miller in New Girl. And so it's gonna, valid for that. Yeah. And it's going to be when he writes his zombie book. And like, that's like, he's going to be encouraging me through that. Like when he does like the word search, but there's no words. And like, he's kind of like my conscience through that process. And I would say like my story be smells like three day old burritos and hot Cheetos. So yeah. This is all so accurate for what I know of you. <laughs> I knew you guys were perfect for this podcast. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> I think I, I love that ours are so different. Well, yours is beautiful. Oh, different. A mermaid. It's regal. Um, and you talk about the inspiration of writing. And mine sets itself on fire. And is an author by the name of Julius Pepperwood. So... <laughs> Yeah, but that kind of fits our vibes. So I'm not mad about it. I got to be honest. <laughs> you guys Perfect. are fantastic. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So we are already two minutes over um, ominously. And I have uh, one very important question. What is your favorite snack? <laughs> um, Phil, do you want to go first? Because I feel like you already know mine. But do you want to go first? um gosh it depends on what I'm in the mood for people make fun of me for this and call me like a dad but I really love sunflower seeds I'm usually always eating sunflower seeds I love plantain chips because I come from the islands um and I really really love Starburst I love Starburst so much I love Starburst to the point that when Emily met me um she had a pack of Starburst waiting for me on the bed the Airbnb because all I do is talk about Starburst. I think those are my top three. I will say I have a top three. See, I have two two identities that live in me when it when it's hungry, right? And I say <laughs> it because it's it's just it's like a little beast inside of me. Yeah, you just either, evolve into a monster when you're hungry. I, I do. And so I either want like fresh fruit, I want like granola and yogurt, I want like acai or I want whatever is left over in my fridge from days. I want like that weird cold pizza that you're like, hold on. Should you eat that? I'm like, I will try it. I think my immune system has gotten me so far because I have eaten things that I absolutely should not have eaten. And that is who I am. I will also say she stress bakes as well. One time I texted her, I was like, hey, Emily. And I was like, how are you? And she was like, 2am, I made like cinnamon buns or something like that. What did you make? It was recently. Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, cannolis. Um, cannolis. <laughs> no, but when I when I stress bake, oftentimes I give it to other people. Um, I just made Oh, you know? that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, Emily, like we've had a lot of answers to snack questions on this <laughs> podcast. And no one has ever said that weird thing in your fridge, basically. (laughs) No, I am like the best. Like when I was in college, people used to like basically treat me like a trash compactor because I'll eat anything. I was like, absolutely. Like when, and one of my best friends, she won't eat leftovers as soon as it's had its moment to shine. She's like, it's over. I'm like, oh, now this is my favorite thing in the entire world because I literally will eat her leftovers. It's, it's the perfect dynamic. 
<laughs> yeah, that truly is. You have to have one person in the relationship that doesn't like olives or doesn't like pickles or wants the leftovers. No, it definitely. You, you can look in your fridge and you could be like, do you think this is still good? I will be your test dummy. And I was like, let me try it. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in mind, okay? <laughs> it's my dream in life. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, y'all have been fantastic. And um, I would love to have you on, like like I said, like 60 more times. I feel like we could talk forever. <laughs> There's so many things. And I, I love just, um, just all the things and like your relationship and how much you guys love each other and hate each other and complete <laughs> each other. I think it's fantastic. So. No, this is great. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And you two are incredibly wonderful. <laughs> This is like honestly one of the most fun interviews I've ever had. So really, thank you for having us. Thank you. We love hearing that. It makes us feel like we're doing our our job. (laughs) Well, you're doing amazing, sweeties. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you.